This is episode number 190. Talking about my midlife crisis. My wife wouldn't let me get a mistress, so I had to do something else. That's coming up on this episode. This is the Red Podcast. How to take your idea and make a name for yourself within your industry and beyond. Spread your message. Attract a following. Rise above the noise. Here's your host, David Hooper. David Hooper here, Red Podcast, recording today from my bunker. Nashville got hit by a snowstorm, and this was a real snowstorm. The entire East Coast was affected by this, it seems. Nashville, about seven or eight inches. And that is a lot of snow for Nashville. Just a quarter inch is normally all it takes to shut the entire city down. It's a big city. It's about a million people. Got about two snowplows. We're not prepared for this kind of thing. You probably heard the phrase cold as hell. That was invented by a southerner. And I know that because we can stand the heat, but cold shuts us down. This is the Red Podcast. Red is the podcast for influencers, how to reach, expand, and develop your audience. If you're a blogger, you're a podcaster, a speaker, marketer, nonfiction author, or entrepreneur, this is the podcast for you. I talk about book publishing, podcasting, speaking, and other elements of your business that you must master to make a name for yourself. The focus is how to take your idea and make money with it. This episode is going to be a little bit different. It's not about book publishing, podcasting, or speaking, although it's sort of about those things. But it's about me. I was hesitant to talk about this. It's something that I've been thinking about for the last two or three years, something I've been dealing with for the last two or three years but I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And just a few days ago, had a big breakthrough. It's something that has to do with business as well. So I think that it's something that may help you. And if it's not helping you now, it's something that may help you in the future. I'm talking about my midlife business crisis. I just made a big leap, 20 years in the music business. This is something that I started in college. In college, really before college, I grew up in Nashville, born in Nashville, and how much more music business can you get? I didn't really grow up in a musical family, but I did have an uncle that played on the Grand Ole Opry, and I started playing music in kindergarten. This is just what we do here. As a matter of fact, every day when I went to school, I would go down what we call Music Row, 16th and 17th Avenues, one-way street, depending on which way you're going. That's where the publishing companies, the record labels, songwriters would hang out. I've often compared growing up in Nashville to growing up in Detroit in that in Detroit, somebody that you know, maybe you, maybe your family, is involved in the automotive business. And if you're not in the automotive business, you're in an auxiliary part of the automotive business. Same thing with Las Vegas. If you're not in the gaming business, the casino business, you have something to do with the tourism or know somebody who does that supports the gaming business. So that's kind of how it was when I was growing up. All my friends, their parents were in the music business. They were songwriters. They were music publishers. They worked for labels. And kind of how it played out for me, as I mentioned, I first started playing music at about five years old and did my first session shortly thereafter, kind of like a kid's bop thing, if you're familiar with that. Got in a studio, sang some songs. Like most music projects, it's not something that ever went anywhere, or if it did, it went somewhere and then came right back down. When I was 15, I started playing guitar. I thought 15 was too old because everybody that I knew had kept at it. 
when they were five years old, they learned how to play guitar and kept at it. So I thought I was way, way behind everybody. And I was, but not the rest of the country, just Nashville. So I would practice as many as four hours per day. I was taking college classes while I was still in high school to learn how to play guitar. I went to college for commercial music. And I actually started my own business in college because I could not wait to get going. So during college and after that, up until about a week ago, doing marketing for musicians. I used to own a big conference. I had a radio show that goes out everywhere. I actually still have that. It's called Music Business Radio. It's available via podcast if you want to search for that. And a couple of books, actually about five or six music business books, the last one being a book called Six Figure Musician. 20 years I was doing this. And it was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of great people. Got to travel all around. And then it wasn't fun. And I don't know how else to explain that, but there was just a switch inside me that went off. And one day I woke up and I just didn't care anymore. And I think what probably happened when I first started playing music, it was about the music and it was about friendship. And I had a love for that. And I eventually developed a love for the business. And that was where my real talent was, actually getting people to shows, getting people to purchase albums, not necessarily making them myself. But I kind of lost touch with what had brought me to that point in the beginning, which was the music itself. And I remember when I first started, I was working for some really great acts early on. And these were national acts, acts like No Doubt. And I remember that I would work with these people and they just didn't really care about the music. And at that time, I was still in my 20s and I really cared about the music. I was still actively playing, wasn't too far removed from the music itself. And I didn't really get it because this is something that I'd wanted to do all my life. And it felt like all the people that I was working with, like they were just completely burnt out and they would have been just as happy like selling samples of food in the grocery store, marketing things that way rather than marketing music. So think about it. I'm working with these big acts. They're on MTV. They're on national tours. And I was part of that. And it was very exciting, but I was working with these guys that just weren't that excited about it. And eventually I found myself kind of going in that direction. And I found that what really excited me wasn't like the No Doubt level bands where they've got a platinum record and they're trying to go for another record that's that big, maybe a double or triple platinum record. Those guys, it's not going to really change their lives if they sell that many more records. But what I like to do was take the guys from zero to about 10,000 records. When that would happen, I would build the momentum, take them from zero to 10,000. And once they hit the 10,000, take them to somebody who could take them to 50 or 100,000. And at that point, you get them a record deal. And that's when things would really take off. So I'd kind of been through a little burnout previously, but about three years ago after my book was released, the Six Figure Musician book, that's when things started to get a little bit stale again. It felt like I was working for the same band, what we call like a Nashville hat act, where they'll just get some kind of country guy, or not even a country guy, they'll get some kind of soap opera star, he's really good looking, put a hat on him, put some Wrangler jeans on him, some boots on him, strap a guitar on him, get some songwriters to write some good songs, give him a country accent, get some studio musicians in there, and it seemed like it was the same product time and time again. And not just country music. I'm using that more as an example. I worked more for, for rock guys, more for pop guys, but it felt like it was the same thing. And you've probably heard that if you've listened to the radio, current pop music, it feels like it's the same artist. It's nobody that you can really connect with. And sometimes you'll turn on the song and say, well, is that artist A or is that artist B? You can't tell because they all sound alike. A lot of the music right now, it's producer based. To take it back to that hat act example, 
It's where a producer goes in the studio, he's got the studio musicians, he's got the songs laid out, and they just need somebody to be the face of the band. No different than the Village People. The Village People was just a producer who made music. He found five or six dudes, dressed them in different outfits. Village People. Didn't even sing their own songs except for the main guy, the cop. So I felt like I was working with the same band because it was the same producers, it was the same sound, same type of promotion. It kind of felt like it was working in a factory. We got to the point where we just knew what worked. This is what sells records. Let's do it. And in addition to that, there was a different type of musician. wasn't really a musician. Like I said, it's like a soap opera star, a good-looking guy. This is somebody who just wanted to be famous. It wasn't anybody who was really working hard at their instrument like I used to, playing four or five hours a day. A lot of times it was just some guy, some woman, just won the genetic lottery. That was all it took because all the back end, all the music stuff, that was done by somebody else. And at that time, again, about three years ago, I found out that I had a lot of opportunities outside of the music industry, strangely enough, because of that musician book that I'd read. Non-musicians read the book and said, hey, wait a minute, this thing that you're doing to build up musicians, this is exactly the kind of stuff that we need for speaking careers. I'm an author and I need it for my author career. I've had comics read this book and people were coming to me and I was having opportunities outside of the music industry. Also, book publishing companies were coming to me. Film companies were coming to me because the music industry, if you remember several years ago, we had a real big issue with piracy. Had an issue with people going on Napster, people downloading music, sharing music. And part of that was simply because the files were pretty small and you had a player like an iPod or you had a computer that would play them. Once we had the Kindle, once we had these e-readers, people started doing the same thing with books. And once you had faster internet connections, people started doing the same thing with films. They could take a movie, put it on their computer, put it on either a thumb drive or burn it, start playing it on their television. So because I was in the music industry and had figured out a way around piracy, not to stop piracy, but just to work with it and still be able to monetize it, a lot of book publishers, a lot of film companies started coming to me. And secretly, I've been doing that work for a while. That's actually people that are coming to me. And this is kind of how it works. I mentioned an act here that I'd worked with. Rarely have I ever done that. I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable now about mentioning some acts now that I'm out of the industry and not looking for more business. But I've always had, well, we'll maybe call it like a non-disclosure agreement where the only time my name appears is on the check, especially with a lot of acts that want to look like they're marketing geniuses or look like they're just really with it when it comes to getting in touch with their audience. Not necessarily the case. A lot of times they'll bring in a guy like me, or in this case, specifically me, to find out a way to connect with that audience. And I was kind of maybe the, the Svengali. That's really kind of what I did is I would tell them how to better connect with their audience. And we had songwriters who could do that through songs, but I would help them to do it in other ways, which would end up selling the music through better connection, keeping better in touch through emails, social media, and just doing things that these people that had won the genetic lottery, and they're very beautiful, but they've never had to make those connections because they're used to people coming up to them, basically kind of uh, finishing school to tell them how to relate better to fans, to where fans are going to be more accepting. So you can see kind of the behind the scenes of it is really kind of manipulative. Pulling back the curtain a little bit because I really just, it doesn't matter. I'm out of it now. So I'm going to tell you where I'm going. And um, anyway, to continue on with the story, this is kind of how I was feeling. Again, this is something that's been going on for a while, certainly the last few years. But publicly, I was that music business guy. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you've got this identity. And I want you to think back to what I said. I was a little kid, five years old, playing music, going in the studio for the very first time when I was in kindergarten and keeping that up for another 20 years. 
and then getting into the music business and doing that for another 20 years. Publicly, I was this music business guy. I'm still based in Nashville. Wherever I go, people are like, oh, man, do you like country music? And the answer, no, but I do work in country music, and it's that kind of identity. When I go out, sometimes people recognize my voice. Oh, man, I've heard you on the radio. It's my identity, and it's tough to walk away from that when you're known for something, and it's pretty good but not great. You know, it's like that book, it's too good to leave, too bad to stay, and that's kind of where I was with the music business. Last month, within the last month, the last few weeks, many musicians have died. Lemmy from Motorhead, David Bowie died, Glenn Fry from the Eagles, and I've been thinking about this a lot a lot of those videos have been popping up on social media, on Facebook. I've talked to friends about career artists. In my book, Six Figure Musician, I actually talked about Lemmy and Motorhead and what great marketing guys those were. And I think it was authentic. I don't think those guys were being fake about it because I think that they were true artists. These were true artists that worked for years before anything ever happened for them. And when you watch these old videos of David Bowie, I saw a great one with him performing with Tina Turner. She's another one. She's been in the business for 50 years. She's amazing. And I realized how far away from that that I had gotten. The artists that I've been working with lately, they're here today, gone tomorrow. Maybe they're going to have a hit. And maybe with that hit, what they can do is go out and play a bunch of state fairs the rest of their lives but they're not going to be those career artists. Again, I want you to just imagine this because I'm not going to mention any names. Somebody who's a soap opera star, very good looking, and maybe sing a little bit. If you can't sing that well, we can fix that in the studio. And you just basically plop him on a stage in front of some drunk women and the women love him. It's not very exciting. There are two kinds of musicians in the world. They're the artists. They're the true artists, the people like Bowie. Those guys change things. They change the way people feel about things. Perhaps you've seen that clip of David Bowie. I saw this on social media a lot after he died. It was Mark Goodman, one of the original VJs from MTV. And Bowie's asking him, how come MTV doesn't play black artists? And Bowie, who had a lot of respect for black artists, really held Goodman's feet to the fire, MTV's feet to the fire. That's the kind of artist that I liked to work with. And it was because of people like David Bowie, because of these career artists, that we have had things change in our culture, in my opinion, for the better. So that's the first kind of artist. The second artist, those are the ones who do the same album again and again and again. And I think there are people that do that very well. I mentioned Motorhead, same album again and again and again. Well, because he's authentically that. ACDC, the same album again and again and again. ACDC is authentically that. Nothing wrong with that. But they're also the guys that have a formula, and they're going to wear that formula out again and again and again until it gets no more response. And the reason they don't do anything differently is because they don't know anything else. And they don't know, including knowing even who they are. And those are the kind of artists that I was sick of dealing with. Doing the same thing over and over again is good only if you know who you are, and that is what you do. Third type of musician that I didn't mention, I really need to quickly because these guys are everywhere. The legacy musicians, and they're bored as hell. These are artists like, you know what? I'm going to beat that out because I'm not trying to burn any bridges here. But these are the artists. They're legacy artists. They've had a hit album. They've had a few hit albums maybe, but they're just phoning it in now. Maybe they do some re-records. They're playing that state fair circuit. 
boring as hell. And because of this, I was bored. And honestly, when you talk about me working in that factory, knowing how to sell records, knowing how to get these guys charted, I was phoning it in too. And I had to take a good look at myself. But I thought about it because of this identity. I thought, well, hey, what are people going to think? This is my identity. For not just the last 20 years that I've been in the music business, but the 20 years before that when I was a musician, when I was in high school, junior high, elementary school, kindergarten. This is my identity. It's the degree that I have. We all face this when we're facing a big decision. And this is why I bring this up. It's something personal, but I think it's going to help you. This could be a divorce. It doesn't have to be business. It could be personal. I've got a transgendered friend. Imagine that kind of decision. People knew him as a male for over 30 years. He says, no, I'm not a male. I'm a female in a male's body. Now he is a she. Huge. I remember she contacted me after the transition. She says, whatever happened to our old friend blank? The old name that she used to go by. I said, oh my gosh. That's the guy I knew in high school, and now he's a she. Think about that kind of transition and the kind of balls, no pun intended, that it took for her to reach out to me after that. Also, admitting a mistake. Saw Steve Harvey on the Miss Universe. Whew. That was a mess. Crowned the wrong winner, had to take the crown off of her, give it to somebody else. What will people think? Admitting a mistake can be hard. You want to talk about personal. Before it gets to divorce, you have to admit that you married the wrong person. That's not easy. Or you have to admit that you changed, or she changed, or he changed. Not easy. What will people think? And the answer to all of this is that action cures fear. So what I did, I realized that I had to make a change. I sent an email out. This is it. I'm retiring. Thank you. I had a lot of fun doing this, and I had an email list, which had faded a little bit, but it was still about 60,000 people. Sent them one final email. That was it. Canceled the list. And as a funny side note, I decided that I was going to track that list to see if it was still getting any kind of heat. And after I'd sent the message with the tracking code, I went ahead and canceled the list. Now, funny thing about tracking codes, I wasn't thinking ahead. I was just ready to be done with it, ready to make the decision, press the button, send the message, cancel the list. The tracking codes no longer worked on the message that I just sent. So like Gene Simmons of KISS, I said that I was retired, had to get back on stage, reactivate the list, send another email, this time without tracking, so I don't even know how well this message did. Hey, I apologize. Here are the links that work. This is really, no joke, the final email that I'm ever going to send to you. Thank you for working with me for the last 20 years. Goodbye. Sent that email, then canceled the list. So if you ever send a final email, if you're going to track it, you need to leave the list running just a little bit longer because on a lot of mail systems, and this was AWeber that I was using, the tracking is going to go with it when you cancel the list. And the reason that I thought that it wouldn't was because AWeber has a 30-day, I guess it's a grace period where they keep your list in their system. I thought the tracking would still work. It does not. 
Action cures fear. I'm going to leave you with one final story. I've got a dog. This is actually Laurel's dog. When I met Laurel, the dog came with her. When we got married, the dog came with her. So the dog is now partly mine, I guess we'll say. And he's been a great dog, but he's getting old. And dogs only live for so long, and it's gotten to that point in time where I'm thinking, well, he may not be around much longer. And I've never been through this. So I was talking to my mother. I gave her a call about the process of having an aging dog. And and what do you do? I mean, how does that work? I've never been through it before. She told me an interesting story. There was a vet that I used to go to with her when I had my very first dog, a Labrador retriever named Midnight, when I was very, very young, actually about the same age that I was talking about earlier, about five or six years old, we had Midnight. And eventually Midnight got to the point where she had to be put down. I was asking her about the process and how that worked. And I mentioned the old vet we used to go to, and he was great. We went to him for years. He really took great care of our dogs. She told me a story, and I had no idea, because when you're five or six years old, everybody's older than you are. But she told me the story about how she discovered this vet. This guy, he had not been a vet all his life. That was his second career. He actually went to vet school when he was 35 years old. It had been a lifelong dream of his. So he goes to vet school when he's 35. He's close to 40 by the time he got out of vet school and started his practice. He didn't have an office. While that was being built, he started making house calls, and that is when my mother got to know him. So think about that. 35 years, goes back to school, starts his practice when he's about 40, and continued veterinary medicine, working in that for over 30 years. Over 30 years, he worked as vet. That's a long, long career by anybody's standard. Earlier on this episode, I talked about being 15 and wanting to get really serious about guitar. I thought it was too late. But it wasn't too late. I was only 15 years old. And you can do a lot in just a few years. You're never too old to make these big changes. And if you've got something in your life, whether it's business or whether it's personal, it's not too late to make the change. Action cures fear. You have the time. You're going to be able to get it done, and you will get the support that you need. But you can't do it in secret. You've got to make the decision. You've got to announce it. Otherwise, nobody's going to know to support you. And the decision feels great. The decision feels great. If you don't know my blog, by the way, you can see more about what I'm doing, how I'm describing that. 23hours.com is the blog. Red Podcast, a little bit cleaner than the blog. So if you're used to the very nice David, the one that beeps things out, well, 23hours.com is a little more rough around the edges, but there's some good stuff there about how to build your own celebrity. I'm doing the same thing that I used to do for musicians, for entrepreneurs, for bloggers, for podcasters, helping you to build your celebrity, get paid more for what it is that you do. Next episode, there's a scandal in the podcasting world. This next episode is not just for podcasters. It's for any creative professional. If you're an author, a blogger, a speaker, There's some good stuff in it for you. Scandal in the podcasting world, that is next on Red Podcast. Hey, if you're going through a big transition, I'd love to hear about it. Reach out to me, at David Hooper on Twitter is how to do that. And to make sure you don't miss the next episode, Scandal in the Podcasting World, redpodcast.com will make sure that you get subscribed. It's easy, just one click. It doesn't matter if you're listening on iTunes, if you've got an Android, if you get your podcast another way, one click is all it takes to subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your support of Red Podcast. Big things are coming, including my new podcast marketing book, Big Things. 
See you on the next episode of Red Podcast. You've been listening to Red Podcast, the marketing podcast for influencers. Never miss an episode. Subscribe now with your iPhone, Android, or via RSS at redpodcast.com. 